A lot of residents in the small town of East Palestine, Ohio, are scared and angry. On a Friday night almost two weeks ago, a train carrying hazardous chemicals derailed on its way through town. Train cars caught fire and released dangerous materials into the air. And according to residents, they felt the impact almost immediately. I mean, people have been saying they've had headaches. People are concerned about rashes that they say have appeared just since this all happened. The health officials are not downplaying the possibility that these ailments could be linked to these chemicals, but that the fears in town are that they just don't know what the long-term effects will be. Scott Dance is a reporter on the climate and environment team at The Post. Though the Environmental Protection Agency says their testing indicates the air is safe, many residents are unsure, and they're demanding transparency from the train company. Even though there aren't solid answers to a lot of questions they're asking, I think that the sense is so strong that we have to take action, we can't be quiet. There were a lot of statements along the lines of, if we don't stand up for ourselves, nobody will. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Kim Belware. It's Thursday, February 16th. Today, what we know about the environmental disaster in East Palestine and why a town hall meeting on Wednesday left many residents with more questions than answers. Scott, do we know how and why this train derailed? So the train derailed because of a mechanical problem that the National Transportation Safety Board is still investigating. But there is surveillance video out there that shows that the train was on fire and sparking a dozen or so miles before it even got to East Palestine. Yeah, Scott, I've seen pictures and videos of this huge fire and plumes of smoke around the train tracks where it derailed. And it looked like an enormous mess. How did authorities decide to clean it up? A Norfolk Southern train traveling through the center of this town derailed on the night of February 3rd. It was carrying chemicals that are used to make plastic, and it caused this massive chemical fire. So at first, the concern was this fire, which obviously they put out eventually. But then uh, a couple days after the derailment, the concern shifted to a train car that was getting very hot. There was a drastic temperature change in one of these cars containing vinyl chloride, uh, this chemical used to make PVC plastic. And so they had to do a controlled release of it. Uh, You can see the dark black smoke that is coming out of there. This is from our camera. Uh, You can see the dark black plume of smoke now rising above East Palestine. Uh, You can also see the fire Yes, that is taking place below that. Uh, There was concern that it was going to cause a catastrophic explosion that could send shrapnel, you know, a mile away. So they said they had no choice but to release this toxic gas, carcinogenic gas, into the air. Yeah, tell me more. Like, what do we know about the chemicals that were released from this derailment? So the main one is called vinyl chloride. And when it's burned, as it had to be in this situation to prevent this explosion, 
It can produce other harmful gases, hydrogen chloride and phosgene, which I believe has been used as a chemical weapon in the past. So this is dangerous stuff. But again, yeah, the authorities are saying that had to be done to save lives or at least protect health to prevent people from breathing that in. Scott, what was the risk to residents living there when this controlled release happened? Was it okay to stay in in your home or did they evacuate? They evacuated people within about a mile radius of the crash site. So yeah, people had to find somewhere else to stay for several days. Some people chose to stay anyway. The concern was that being close to this controlled burn was just going to expose them to too high a level of these chemicals and and that breathing them in would cause major health effects. Well, what other concerns have developed about the chemicals other than air contamination? The main concern that the Ohio EPA and the U.S. EPA are, are looking at is groundwater at this point and soil, but they're encouraging people in town to continue drinking bottled water and They are, you know, encouraging people to get their wells tested. A lot of people are on a public municipal system that is pulled from an underground aquifer. And uh, some testing that I believe they got back yesterday said that it was okay. But they are still kind of, yeah, trying to see like how much of these chemicals could have potentially seeped into the groundwater or could continuing to be seeping into the groundwater the people in town are being encouraged to continue drinking bottled water. What have been the immediate health side effects from being near these chemicals that people have reported? People are definitely reporting health effects. People are concerned about headaches or rashes. Thankfully, there's nothing more serious than that that's been reported. No deaths have been reported. But yeah, in the long term, the concern is that, yeah, these could lead to cancers, that liver cancer, other types of cancer that are associated with long-term repeated exposure to these chemicals. So I think for right now, the health officials are saying we're dealing with acute exposures to these chemicals. And so in that sense, the long-term cancer type concerns are relatively low, but there's just not enough known about how long this exposure could last, how much it has permeated the environment in this town. And what about the psychological side effects? That's the biggest thing, I think. So last night, there was a town hall event at the local high school. And there were hundreds of people lined up to go inside because they are all just desperate to learn whatever they can. And they're desperate to vent their anger and their frustration and deliver questions themselves in person to the uh, leaders that they are putting their trust in to figure this out. And the people that I talked to after that meeting, you know, left perhaps even more frustrated than they came. One of the questions that got the loudest applause from this crowd of people was, if the air is fine and the water is fine, then why are people getting sick? And there isn't an answer to that yet. You know, I think some of the authorities are not sure yet how directly they can link some of these ailments to what has happened. But I think part of the reason they're telling people to go to the doctor 
for whatever it is, is to, yes, get that documented in case there is a, you know, stronger connection made or a better understanding of what is contaminated and where and how much and why that could be causing it. There are also lawyers all over town getting people together for legal action on this. As all the facts are gathered, you know, they're coming into town to tell people what their legal options might be. There is a lot of concern about the future and whether this event will change this town in a way that it will never recover from. I spoke to a man named Flay Stewart who said, you know, this is a very tight-knit community. I get emotional even when talking about it sometimes because it's, it's just, our town's real tight-knit. And this really blew everything out of the water. Not knowing, you know, they have one press conference a day and sometimes, you know, you never find anything out. And yet his next-door neighbor left when the evacuation was ordered and hasn't returned and says he isn't going to. And so people like Flay Stewart are just concerned that the fabric of this community is really being ripped apart by this. I think a lot of people, like my neighbors already moved out. They're, they moved to Chester and they said they're not coming back. And that's, you know, kind of hard. Because, I mean, you get to know people and this thing just wrecked their lives. After the break, I ask Scott how the railroad operator Norfolk Southern has responded to the crisis. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. So it sounds like there is still a lot of uncertainty among residents, and they still have a lot of questions. What happened at the town hall on Wednesday night? Who was there, and what kind of answers did they get? There were hundreds of residents from this town there. There were even people who came in from out of town. I met a couple of people who lived two hours away down the Ohio River and came up because they were concerned about what it could be sending down their way. So there's a lot of concern, obviously, in this community, but even outside of it. Um, They came expecting a town hall where they could ask questions and, you know, hear directly from their leaders. And uh, Norfolk Southern actually did not attend, Oh wow! uh, citing some concerns for the safety of their employees. Understandably, there's a lot of anger and frustration at the railroad right now. How did that response go over? Uh, There were a lot of screams and yells about that, uh, you know, people yelling at politicians saying, don't take money from the railroad, saying, why isn't Norfolk Southern here? My table is right down here. 
their local congressman, Bill Johnson, was here, and he stressed to the residents that if they had questions for Norfolk Southern, he would pass them along. The mayor in town said that he was equally frustrated that Norfolk Southern didn't show up. And, you know, they, they say that the railroad is engaged and it is reimbursing people for these costs. It is saying they're not going to rest until this is all cleaned up. But at the same time, people want accountability and they don't feel like they're getting an opportunity for it. I think a lot of them feel like they've seen this happen before in other places around the country, and they just don't have high hopes for how this is going to go. What about government officials? How are they responding to the disaster? The Ohio state agencies that oversee the environment and natural resources and health and all those sorts of things seem to be really trying to promote a calm in a way. Not that they're saying, you know, everything's okay, carry on. But I think there is understandably a lot of panic in this community. And I think they're trying to tell people, you know, let's take this a day at a time. But like, let's look at what the data says. You know, the data says that the air is normal. At the local level, Mayor Trent Conaway expressed a lot of anger himself at this town hall meeting and was really... Well, he lives there too, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like any other resident of this town, I think even the mayor is worried and has questions and is afraid. And so I think he took control of that town hall because he understands exactly how these people are feeling. And even though there aren't solid answers to a lot of questions they're asking... I think that being someone who lives here, the the sense is so strong that we have to demand answers. We have to take action. We can't be quiet. There were a lot of statements along the lines of, if we don't stand up for ourselves, nobody will. Yeah, Scott, I imagine there's a lot of frustration from residents, in part because how much the safety guidance has changed over the past two weeks. Um, what have you heard about what residents were initially told versus what they're being told now? Well, one thing that residents are frustrated about is that they were told at first that vinyl chloride, that main ingredient in PVC plastic, was the main concern. But then just a few days ago, it came out that there were other types of chemicals that were leaked as well. You know, people were told to evacuate, and then they were told it's safe to come back. And, you know, then they're told, don't drink the water, please continue to drink bottled water. So I think people are just feeling really frustrated by these mixed messages. And it's really sowing a lot of distrust. I think people feel very on their own and people are just not sure who to listen to. I spoke to a woman named Michelle Parker who lives in a duplex with her daughter and uh, her daughter's children. And they all as a family left town and, uh, you know, have come back, but are just not sure about whether that's something they should be doing. We are frightened. Uh, we don't know what to think. Uh, so therefore we don't know what to do. We don't feel like we're being told the entire truth. We're worried for our children, the ones that are growing up now. Uh, we're just scared. 
they are just scared because they don't know what to do. They don't know what the actual risk is. Thank God nobody was killed. I'm very grateful for that. A lot of unanswered questions, and I think mostly people don't feel like we're being told the total truth. This is all so sad and sounds really frustrating for the residents. What has the train company, Norfolk Southern, said about the derailment so far? Norfolk Southern says they are committed to cleaning this up, that they're committed to helping people cover the costs of, you know, any trouble that was caused by the derailment, including hotel stays or travel, but also uh, air purifiers, cleaning supplies, things like that. They've also offered these $1,000 checks to impacted residents that they're calling an inconvenience payment. Hmm. And there were some questions about whether that was sort of paying people off. Well, it sounds like these $1,000 checks are not going to be the end of it. And you mentioned there are lawyers all over town. What kind of legal action is being pursued against Norfolk Southern? So there have already been some lawsuits filed trying to hold Norfolk Southern accountable for this. And it sounds like there are certainly more to come. But even people who aren't directly next to the derailment site are concerned about the loss in their property value that has already occurred. They think, you know, who's ever going to want to move to this town after this? So in that sense, they worry that they will, yeah, take this economic hit that they will never recover from. There's lawyers coming in from all over and holding these informal sort of town halls of their own, sort of maybe filling a a vacuum of uncertainty and, and questions People are just desperate for whatever answers or whatever help they can get. Looking to the future, do we know the long-term environmental impact of this derailment and and how it might continue to affect this community down the road? That's the big question. I mean, yeah, we just don't know yet. You know, the cleanup is still going on. The main creek leading through this town is still contaminated. This community is still really reeling from this and coming to terms with what is it going to mean for their homes and their families for the long term. It's been less than two weeks since the derailment happened. And the sense I got is that people just feel like their lives have been turned upside down in no time at all. Scott, thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you. Glad to help. Scott Dance is a reporter on the climate and environment team at The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Ariel Plotnick. It was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Lucy Perkins. Thanks also to Eliza Dennis and Maggie Penman. If you love listening to the show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Kim Belware. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. 
In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.